2: Welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports programme brought to you by the team at Radio New Zealand Sport. This week we talk to the sailor Blair Tuke following his gold medal at a World Cup regatta in France. The equestrian Tim Price finishes runner-up in Kentucky and Hayden Patton crashes into spectators on the Rally of Argentina. The Auckland City coach, Ramon Tribulic speaks about his future after winning the Oceania Champions League and the Phoenix captain, Andrew Durante, prepares his team for the A-League finals. The New Zealand squad is named for the stand-up paddle and paddleboard world championships and we hear from the ultimate waterman, Daniel Keriopa. New Zealand's Olympic sailing silver medalists Peter Burling and Blair Tuke captured gold this week at a sailing World Cup regatta in France. The 49er crew is unbeaten since 2012 and intent on winning gold in Rio, but is also a part of Team New Zealand in its campaign to win back the America's Cup. On their way home from France, the two sailors stopped in Brazil, where Barry Guy got hold of Blair Tuke to talk about the French regatta.
3: First time we'd racing all to the top guys since the World Championships last September, and it was a, a sort of a new format which had 40 boats all racing together, which was new for us and had some challenges. But uh, you know, at the end of the week, I think we raced three or four of the days out of the six days were in uh, really light winds, so it was uh, you know pretty pleasing for us to sort of such a dominant display down in, in uh, sort of light and challenging conditions.
4: Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you're pretty much unbeaten since the Olympics. Uh, how come you're so dominant?
3: Yeah, that's right. We've we haven't been beaten in the forty nine since we got silver in London and uh you know I think it's never just down to one thing really and you know, we just make sure we just keep kept trying to get better, I think one of the main things. We never haven't been complacent at all and uh each time we go out on the water training or racing we want to try and get better each time and uh you know, obviously our eyes firmly fixed on coming here next year and trying to win a gold medal in Rio and, you know, everything we do is towards that.
4: Uh, are you going to race all the rest of the World Cup regattas this year, are you?
3: The World Cup regattas aren't a huge priority for us. The main sort of appeal is just the top guys race there, so it's good to practice and line up against the best guys. But we'll, we'll do the next one, which is in Weymouth in the UK, actually, so it'll be good to get back there, and that'll, that'll be the first time we've been back since the Olympics in 2012. So we'll do that one, and then that'll be it for us.
4: And you're in Rio at the moment. I understand there's a test event coming up, but what's your plan?
3: Yeah, so we just sort of started the year, we thought we'd stop back here in Rio and uh, on the way back from this trip and just spend 10 days here, just a bit more training. It's a, quite a unique venue and one we want to spend a bit of time at between now and next year, learning the, the currents and the winds. Uh, obviously, it's quite geographical with a lot of mountains and whatnot. Obviously, we're racing right underneath the sugar load. Yeah, it's quite a lot of, sort of local knowledge needed, so we're, one of our priorities is to spend a bit of time here before next year, just to be as comfortable as you can, both on and off the water.
4: And how is uh, the uh, sailing venue in Rio? Pretty much all we hear is about the rubbish.
3: There is truth in that it's, the waters aren't the same as what we race in New Zealand. They are quite dirty and polluted with a lot of rubbish in the water and sewage at times, depending if it's been raining much or not, and it's a bit of a problem. But at the same time, the Olympic Games is going to be raced on those waters next year, and we've got to get comfortable in them. And uh, if you took away those things, it's actually a, a great place to sail. The winds are, you know, really tricky and hard to understand. And with the current factor uh, racing in, in the bay and Rio, it's, uh, it makes it challenging and uh, sort of exciting to try and figure out what's going on each day.
4: So what's the situation with Team New Zealand? How does that work?
3: We've just been over here really concentrating on our 49er racing and obviously trying to keep our heads down with that. So, you know, there's meetings going on and we're just going to go into one... This afternoon, just, you know, it would be a good chance for us to get a bit more of a heads up of what exactly going on, and uh, you know, hopefully, you know, this year we can still keep doing these World Series events with Team New Zealand, and then hopefully, the, um, we can get the funding and whatnot in place to to launch into the campaign Basically,
4: AC35. And that uh, they sort of complement each other or, or help you as far as the Olympics are concerned?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, both team and I have learned a lot from being involved with Team New Zealand, and uh, there's a lot of smart people in the team, and you know, we make sure we learn off them, but at the same time. Trying to win a gold medal at Rio next
2: year is uh, our main priority for now. The Canterbury equestrian Tim Price captured headlines this week after leading the prestigious Kentucky four-star event for two days on his horse Wesco before falling to second in the show jumping. The relatively unknown eventer was a part of New Zealand's team at the World Equestrian Games in 2014 after winning the Lumoulin four-star event earlier that year married to janelle price who was part of the new zealand team that won bronze at the last olympics tim is now preparing for the badminton horse trials next week he spoke to barry guy about riding wesco to second in kentucky behind the olympic champion michael young
5: mixed emotions really but um all said and done I, I, I would have taken second at the start of the week um if it was offered to me so it's just the way you you can arrive at Results sometimes. It was very exciting to be up on the leaderboard and sort of tied for first after dressage and then to try and maintain that through. But um, no, I'm really pleased with how it finished up. Disappointed, obviously, with having a rail and it costing me the um, title, but wrapped with the horse. It was a good result for him.
4: Yes, as you say, in the end it was a rail and it was to the Olympic champion.
5: Yeah, if I'm going to lose the summit, it might as well be the um, reigning Olympic champion and he's won the World Games the time before last as well, so he's, he's a very on-form rider, he's a class act, he had two bites at the apple with two horses out there, and he beat me on a horse that I managed to beat him on at um, Le Moulin last time out, so he, he kind of got me back there a little bit.
4: So uh, yes, this horse, uh, as you say, you won on it before, second uh, here in this prestigious event, so obviously things are going well for the horse?
5: Yep, there was just a little blip in between the two at the World Championships last year, but that wasn't really down to the fault of the horse. It was very, very testing conditions, and it meant, for me anyway, I wasn't, a- wasn't able to complete. Um, and other than that, he's been a very on-form horse. He's just a terrific all-round event horse. He hasn't really got a weakness. And so he's still got plenty of miles left on him, So as far as his age and things. So he's really going to come into, I think, the best patch in the next year or two, which should coincide, hopefully, rather nice with next year, hopefully all going well.
4: Now you've obviously been working towards competing at the at the highest level. I mean I did have some people late last week sort of uh, say to me, Who's Tim Price? But I mean you were in the world championship team last year. You know, we all know the Blythe Tates and the Mark Todds and that, but yourself, you know, you've come through and you must yeah, be happy with the progression?
5: It's definitely the case that in the last sort of twelve, eighteen months is where I've really sort of started to hit the ground in the in the top level of the sport, the four star level um it takes a long time to get there that's why all these those names you just mentioned are old old boys Um so because it takes a while to get up but i mean and and to stay at that level as well it, it takes a, a good string of horses and depth and depth in your, your horses and what you're doing but no it's just really been the last 12 months or so where i've had some results at at the top level and that's where that news gets cast um around a bit further and wider and um hopefully that's the momentum I can continue.
4: Of course, uh, Andrew Nicholson's still going, and he has some very good horses. But do you think there's you know, there's some great depth coming through, Jock Padgett, obviously, to um, keep New Zealand at the highest level?
5: Absolutely. There really is some, some good depth and some very talented riders. Yeah, Jock Paget and Carolyn Powell and Lucy Jackson, um, Janelle Price and myself and uh, just to name a few have all got some really good horses and some good trading method. And um, and that's starting to be seen, I think, with those riders and, and their horses and what they're doing and things. And it's, it's, it bodes very well for the future of New Zealand eventing. And, you know, it is exciting because the one thing that the Kiwis have always had is that cutthroat competitiveness. And uh, I think in the modern era of the sport, we're um, being able to sort of harness that with heightened training and with the dressage level coming along as it has and everything else that's required to be um, in the winner's circle at the end, so I think it's all going in the right direction, and it's very exciting.
4: Now, you have badminton coming up. Do you get to run the same horse?
5: No. Most of these horses will do two events of this kind of level in their um, in their competitive year, along with some other events along the way, but they'll focus on those two. So, with with an event like that, he's he's been in work for quite a long time in preparation with fitness and training and things. Now he's on holiday for a few weeks before he then picks up again and and builds back up through to something in the autumn. But I do have another horse going to Badminton, Ringwood Skyboy, is his name. So I'm looking forward to that. He's um, I've been putting together a bit of form with him, and I think he's about ready for a good result.
4: So uh, consider yourself a contender there, also.
5: Well, it's a, it's always difficult um, to to sort of say because half of it depends on what other people do and then what sort of uh, what they bring to the table and. And, yeah, and there's, a, there's a little bit of luck involved in, in this game as well, as there isn't any, but, but, no, he's feeling very, very good, and that's the main thing. He's in, in good form physically and mentally at the moment, and, uh, and if I can keep that through till next week, then I think we've got a chance of a, of a good result there. So, yeah,
3: we'll see.
2: Breakdowns and a crash into spectators ruled the Geraldine rally driver Hayden Patton out of contention on the Rally of Argentina. No one was seriously hurt in the accident and Padden and his co-driver John Kennard rejoined the race the next day as Britain Chris Meek claimed his maiden WRC victory. Before the next rally in Portugal, Padden is back in New Zealand for the Otago Classic but prior to leaving Argentina he spoke to Joe Porter about his difficulties in South America.
1: certainly been a pretty hard weekend, both on and off the road if you like. Right from I guess shakedown where we had a steering arm failure and then mechanical issues on the first day and then Obviously, the the incident uh, yesterday, it's uh, pretty, been a, a pretty rough weekend.
6: The incident yesterday, can you just sort of walk me th- through it really quickly? What exactly happened?
1: There's not much to it, to be honest. It's a, it's a small jump uh, that we took flat on the, on the first loop. Uh, then on the second loop, the, the road had just changed a little and, and the car kicked off the jump uh, a lot more than what we thought. And Basically, by the time the car landed, uh, we landed near the edge of the road and, and there are some spectators that... Uh, probably shouldn't have been standing where they were. Uh, that we unfortunately hit. You know, it's a very unfortunate incident, and you know, it's not such a nice feeling when the car is going towards spectators. But you know, the actual accident or the moment that we had that caused it wasn't big at all. Uh, if there were no people there, we would have carried on and it would have just been a, a normal rally moment. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case.
6: So then, from your point of view, quite frustrating, I guess. You know, obviously w- with some compassion towards the injuries, but quite frustrating that the spectators were where they were.
1: Like, you know, it's not for me to say. I guess, um, you know, it's, it's not a good incident, as I say. You know, it's very scary for everybody involved and the results aside and, and how everything was going, you know, first and foremost, I wish there was the, the people that are involved. But, you know, of course, on a rally like this where there's literally hundreds of thousands of spectators, it's obviously hard for the organisers to control everything. So I guess some of it does have to come down to people taking it on themselves to be standing in safe places.
6: How does it affect your sort of... um? Mental frame of mind, I guess. Does it, you know, when you next go to jump in the car and and, and go to race flat tack do, do you think this incident will, I don't know, weigh on the back of your mind at all? Or do you think you can quickly move past it?
1: Uh, I think I can move past it. Um, at the end of the day, you know, we, we've talked to the injured. You know, they're all in good spirits, and and luckily there is no major injury, so that certainly helps it a little bit. Uh, if it was worse off, then of course it would have been a lot harder. But still, the image in your, in your mind of uh, the car hurtling into into people is not a nice image. Uh, but in saying that, you know, be able to rejoin and, and do the two stages today that the team allowed us to do uh, has helped a lot. And um, I'm sure by the time we get to the next rally, it won't affect us at all.
6: Have you ever crashed into Spectators before, just uh, in any other rally? Uh, no. Luckily, it's something
1: that very often happens in a rally. Um, surely all the rallies that we do around the world are very well-controlled uh, with, with Spectators. So this is probably the most overcrowded rally that we do in the year. So. It's not something I've done before, and it's not something that happens often, and it's certainly something that I hope is not going
6: to happen again. What were some of the lessons you, you sort of take from from this tough experience, the rally as a whole, not just the incident, not just the accident, but you know the mechanical failures and and just the trials and tribulations you faced in Argentina.
1: Yeah, well, look, we're on a bit of a bad run at the moment. We've had two bad events in a row, so we do have to look at the positives, and you know the positives are that you know on new stages or stages that you know, the others don't have so much experience on. Uh, it's a real good level playing field for us and, and that's what we can be a bit and um, you know, these two events are both events we've never done before. Um, so, you know, we've got to be realistic and patient at the moment, but, you know, we're, we're confident with the speed we've got. Uh, we're going back to Europe now and to events that, uh, one, we've either done before or two, they're brand new for everybody. So... It's going to be a nice level playing field, and I think we can be uh, quite competitive there.
6: Good to see that the two events haven't dented your confidence at all, and I guess you must now just be rearing to go for the next one, so you can start with a clean sheet, so to speak.
1: Yeah, well, obviously, we need to get a bit of luck on that side, I think, at the moment, but uh, it's going to be good to go home uh, back to New Zealand and do uh, the Deedon Rally in a couple of weeks' time and the Classic Rally, and obviously a lot more casual, but it'd just be nice just to go back to the enjoyment and the feeliness of the driving, and Try forget about things a little bit and I'm sure that'd be good preparation for when they get
2: back to Europe the following week. The Oceania football champions, Auckland City, are battling to get coach Ramon Tribuliic to recommit to the club. Last weekend, the team sealed their fifth straight O-League title to qualify for the FIFA Club World Cup later this year in Japan. Tribuliic's contract with Auckland City has now ended and he's talking with A-League club, the Brisbane Roar. Richard Wayne spoke with Trubuliec the day after the O-League final as the team were relaxing after the gruelling two-week tournament in Fiji.
7: Yeah, very good, you know, happy people. A bit of relaxation in there. It's been a long long tournament for us. We deserve a bit of this. You know, these finals are never easy. We knew it was going to be a very tight game, very competitive game, and it was. Uh, Look, in the end, we are happy that we managed to do it in the penalty shootout. You tend not to play your best football in, in final games. Especially for us, I think... Well, the way we play, we we need to be mentally fresh. It's been a long tournament, so we probably were not at our best. And if you put together the amount of things that were at stake in the game, made the game difficult for the way we want to play with the ball. You know, no no excuses there. I mean, this is this is what happens when you play the football the way we want to play. You have, we have to think a lot. We have to make a lot of decisions with the ball, and you need to be fresh to to be able to make good decisions, especially in a final like that. But I think, uh, you know, overall, I think we, we, we dominated the game probably for most part of it. In the end, again, you know, we we kept our cool and we managed to win the penalty shootouts.
0: What was behind, there were several times the, the team squared up, including after the penalty shootout. What was behind that? Was that the stakes so high or was there something else going on in the match?
7: No, I think I think it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's an opportunity to compete at a Club World Cup, so everyone wants to be and Boston and that, you know, I and mean, we, we wanted to go back. We, we know we have experienced what it is like, and we wanted to repeat and they wanted to have their first opportunity. So it's understandable. Both teams, coaching staff, the players, uh, wanted to get there. wanted to put their, their 150% to make sure they gave it everything to achieve that. You know, sometimes obviously, uh, in these situations is a bit of roughness in there, but these things happen, you know, in football and in life, you know, uh, luckily at the end, uh, Things uh, got back to normality, and and, and that was it. You know.
0: hey, um, obviously, a new shorter tournament format this year in, in just one place. I think that was to keep the costs down. Where do you think the O-League needs to go? Because um, the Hikari United owner, John Kapinato, uh, of the Papua New Guinea Club, he says uh, he wants the competition to go professional, because uh, otherwise you're spending a lot of money and there's sort of not much reward there. Uh, I guess you sort of have to win it to make ends meet. What what do you what's your position on? What do you think?
7: I'm not sure. I think I think from a football point of view, I'm not a I'm not a chairman or anything like that. I'm a, I'm a football coach. So from a football's perspective, probably the best way you're going to develop uh, the players in the uh, confederation is by having more games. You know, having the opportunity to play home and away, I think it's probably the best way to experience, you know, uh, big games. Uh, if we play, when we play away in the, in Oceania, anywhere we play, we always have big crowds. The final yesterday was not, we didn't have a big crowd because it was two New Zealand teams playing in Fiji. You know, so uh, obviously, if we go back to what it was a couple of years ago, we're playing semi-finals and final, home and away you're guaranteed a lot of very good game and better games. So there's no, to me, there's no better competition than, a, you know, a group of three or four teams with uh, home and away and then semi-finals at least home and away. That's the best way you're going to give your players and the staff an opportunity to the at the highest level, you know. In a tournament, uh, you know, you, you haven't got as many games. Uh, there's a lot of other things involved in it, like the mental tiners and the physical tiners so it becomes more a battle rather than a... An opportunity to develop so yeah, from a football point of view, from a football perspective, I would definitely say that a couple of groups in there with four teams and then at you know, least semi finals some in a way is the the best way to develop something uh, at international level uh, a confederation level, you know but obviously, I understand that there's uh, the financials and and other stories in there. They make it hard, and and it's not for me to say what the way the uh, confederation should go.
0: Yeah, I suppose home in a way too. You'd um, for the club's point of view, you'd get um, the gate at home, and the other team would get the gate at home, and so probably more money going into the individual clubs than uh, just the tournament.
7: Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, we we've only spent money here in the, in Fiji. Um, I'm not I'm not sure how much. I think we were talking about over a hundred thousand dollars, hundred fifty thousand dollars. As the cost of the entire trip you know so that that's a lot of money for the club and no income as we've played uh, away games, so I can understand that from the uh, club's point of view uh, financially it's not uh' it's not ideal you know if it if it turns professional well that' be that would be unbelievable i mean that would be even better uh it would be the best way to give those players an opportunity to dedicate themselves to this and, and to play better games. Uh, that means they get more experience and they, they become better. You know? so it's as simple as that.
0: Hey, so what's the current situation with your contract in Auckland? Has, has it now ended? I mean, this is the end of the season, isn't it?
7: Yeah, I've got a contract for the whole season, so, yeah, that's it now. Yeah.
0: Obviously, uh, Ivan Vuksic and Auckland City will be desperate to keep you. You've been talking talking to them about that, I'm sure.
7: Well, no, we actually, we haven't talked about it. You know, we've been busy with this uh, championship And now, uh, you know, when we get back home, we'll we'll have to sit down and think, uh, myself, you know, think uh, what I want to do, and then we will see.
0: Have you had approaches from anywhere else? There's been some reports in the media about Brisbane Raw being interested in you.
7: Yeah, look, I mean, I've talked to Brisbane Raw. They've talked to me, actually, uh, but we've only talked about football at the moment. So, obviously, I've had uh, more important things to concentrate on, which is our number one tournament uh, this championship. So, I've only talked about football with them, and... uh, from now on, we'll see what happens. It's just waiting to see. You know, this game is a funny game. You never know what's going to happen. Don't plan too far ahead because you might lose focus on what's uh, happening right now. You know, So step by step. Yeah.
2: The Wellington Phoenix have reached the finals of the A-League for the first time in three years and host Melbourne City in a knockout playoff on Sunday. After topping the table towards the end of the regular season, the Phoenix fell to fourth with a string of bad results featuring just one win from five games. Stephen Hewson caught up with the Phoenix captain Andrew Durante and asked him if the side's recent lack of winning momentum will work against them.
8: You don't know. I mean finals finals games you don't know. There could be a team that's lost three in a row going in and, and win it. There could be a team that's... Um, been in form and, and slip up in that game and you don't know I guess ideally you'd probably like to go in with a bit more um, momentum but I think like I said the style of football has been good enough um, that if we can just get that ball in the back of the net early on um, you know we'll go on to win games and we had that penalty opportunity against Sydney I and mean, I'm telling you that changes the game completely and makes Sydney open up to chase the game and you know as soon as they got their goal they sat back and, and it was quite difficult for us to break down so um, you know there, were, there was still lots of positives coming out of it,
0: it Must be hugely deflating that too wasn't it? when you miss a penalty like that like you say you could have you, you defended you kept them out for 15 minutes
8: Yeah no, we, we played really good football in that first 10 minutes and the whole talk before the game leading into the game was we need to start better and we did um, we created a, a couple goal-scoring chances. Then Mikey got brought down in the box. And, and you need to take those chances. I mean, come semi-final time, you need to take those chances. And um, if we get another penalty, then, you know, whoever decides to take it really needs to take that chance. And, um, you know, I'm sure they will. It's, it's a big occasion. We've got some big players in the team as well. Where are you at with that? Because Ernie has said that you're discussing
0: your penalty taking. He's talking about Alberry Michael McGlinchey. Yeah. Uh, are, are you,
8: I mean, because the, the word so far has been whoever's confident Get grabs the ball, but yeah, that look, hasn't look, quite worked, has it? Yeah, it, it hasn't worked. But um, look, uh, we'll speak to her in the week about who we think is is the best penalty taker. And at the moment, in my opinion, our bears stepped up every time and and been really good. And he's a calm, composed bloke, and you need that at penalty taking time. And, and Burns, burns. you don't score 13 goals, and he's, he's also scored other penalties throughout the season. Um, you know, you don't get there without being um, you know a shy guy who's who's intimidated by the spotlight. So, I mean, he's very capable of doing it, um, and so is Michael McGlinchey. It's one of those things, um, you know. On the day, you just hope it goes in. What what sort of approach does Ernie take with you? How does he does he try to does he sit back from you? Does he put pressure on you? What's he? Oh no, he lets me do my thing. He's um, he's he's pretty he's pretty cruisy with me. I mean, uh, as a senior player and the captain, and you know, I've got a bit of a free reign to to go up to individuals and and, and add my piece to them. Um, but also, you know, it's to re- reiterate his message across. Um, you know. Uh, Obviously, I we fully support what, what he's doing here, and um, you know my job is to also make sure individuals um, understand the role. Um, Ernie talks to us mostly in groups, so it's my role to also talk individually to make sure everyone understands what they're doing, and if they're a little bit down on confidence, to you know I'm, I'm here to talk to them. And um, yeah, I guess uh, like I said, he, he gives me a free rein to, to do what I want. Shadi, <laughs> though, they haven't
0: had
8: the been in the greatest of form either, have they? So I mean, uh, what, what do you make of them? Yeah, again, you know, it's hard to it's hard to take a read in, in what they've been doing previous games. Um, you know, from what I've watched over the last five weeks, they've been really solid defensively. Um, they've got one of the better defenses um, towards the back end of the season, so they're going to be hard to break down. Um, but I think at home, you know, we've just got to worry about ourselves. Our attacking style should um, outplay them, and, and we should create, be creating uh, quite a lot of goal scoring opportunities. If we take them, it'll be a great night for everyone. What are you looking forward to the most about it? playing them? Yeah, well just that's that whole going into finals mode. Oh, I just love it, it's exciting, it's you know, the season could be over uh, on Monday or you can continue on to to one game short of a grand final and, and it's exciting, I, I want the boys to be excited by it and you know you've got the media hype throughout the week which is, which is a great build up to it and We just want to, you know, really, last season was was disappointing, the season before was disappointing, and we really want to put on a a good performance for the home crowd. And and hopefully, there's a really big turnout, and and it's just a a great event for everyone, and uh, hopefully, we progress. You've been there, done that. Do do you look to talk to guys about
0: that, or do you let them come to you and maybe just? A, a read on things.
8: I won't really talk about my time in, in in final series. I don't think that's you know too important for him. But just my um, you know words of encouragement and, and kind of take the pressure off them a little bit and just making sure that they've. Don't let the moment slip. I mean, it doesn't happen often. And you've seen the last two seasons we haven't been here. And um, there's nothing worse than just watching other teams playing in the final series, thinking I wish it was me. And this is our opportunity to do it. So um, you know we've got to make the most of it. And and, I, and I'm sure we will. We, we've got a very confident squad. We've got a very good squad. And um, you know we'll, we'll perform on Sunday.
2: Fresh from being crowned the world's ultimate waterman, Raglan's Daniel Kirioppa has joined the New Zealand team competing in May's stand-up paddle and paddleboard world championships in Mexico. Kiriopa has made the team previously but couldn't afford the passage. This year he's turned to the crowdfunding website Thrill Pledge to make it to Mexico and to join the Waterman League. Well known as a surfer on the second tier world tour last decade, Kiriopa told me it was then he came across stand-up paddling in Hawaii.
9: I've been using stand-up paddleboarding as uh, cross-training for my surfing at that time. You know, it was perfect for what I wanted to do. I wanted to keep paddling and I wanted to keep surfing. And it was just a good way to blend two disciplines that have been in the ocean.
2: Is this the first time you've been to a world championship with a stand-up?
9: Yeah, this will be uh, the first time I'm actually going. I've been um, asked two other times before, but I didn't have enough funds to go. So this year I made sure I was going, so I've got a fundraiser through Thrill Pledge.
2: Beyond Mexico, you're also joining the Waterman League. Tell me a bit about that.
9: After Mexico, I'll go to Tahiti and compete against the top-ranked stand-up paddleboard surfers in the world. I was fortunate enough that I got to compete against a whole lot of them about Five weeks ago, in the first ever Ultimate Waterman, I won the whole event. It just shows that I've got the qualities to be competing against the best, so um, I'm putting myself out there now.
2: That's extra time for this week. You can send your feedback to sport at radionz.co.nz. Thanks for listening.